0: Now we want to uh, go back to Galatians and continue. We were we started last Lord's Day uh, in chapter 5 and uh, chapter 5 of Galatians Begins a new theme that Paul is writing on uh, to the Galatian believers and to us, and he's now focused, he's now shifted to a practical theme. All along he was talking theory; now he's shifting to practice, to the practical aspect of his of his teachings. From verses two through verse eighteen of chapter six, he's now focusing on a practical theme where he defends Christian freedom in the spirit. Now, the first verses of chapter 5, from verses 2 to verse 15 of chapter 5, he's dealing with the dangers of legalism. The dangers of legalism, because that's the problem that the Galatians were facing now from uh, the false teachers, or the Judaizers, as they're called. And so from verse 2, Paul begins to talk about how dangerous it is to be caught up in legalism. And many times we're not aware of how dangerous it is until certain things are mentioned to us. And so let's pick up at verse 3. Someone read verse 3, please. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Okay, so legalism actually requires people to keep the whole law. That's what legalism requires. That's... That's a demand. And uh, people under the law cannot accept the easy, or what we might call the easy commandments of scripture, and reject the others. They can't do that. Uh, If a person attempts to please God by being circumcised, then he is automatically obligated to keep the entire law, the whole law, all 560 something uh, um, parts of the law. So a person is entirely under the law or not under the law at all. Obviously, if he's entirely under the law, then Christ is of no value at all to that individual. The Lord Jesus is not only a complete Savior, but he's also an exclusive Savior. Now, you would find that there are many people in the world today who condemn believers Because of that very statement. They condemn us and say, boy, your your people are so narrow-minded. I mean, there's more than one way to do a whole lot of things. So obviously, there's got to be more than one way to go to heaven. And so you hear a lot of people saying that. What makes you think that your Savior is the right one, or the correct one, or the only one? And so we would hear that. But the Scripture teaches us quite clearly that Jesus Christ is not only a complete Savior, but He is an exclusive Savior. Now, don't you like to be in the in the realm of exclusivity? Don't you? You know, you walk right around town sometimes, and you see those those real real estate signs, and the person's on names on the signs, and then you, you see that word exclusive. You know what that means, right? That particular agent has exclusive rights to sell or to rent or the, to deal with that that piece of real estate, right? In the company that I worked for, we had a lady who was an exclusive real estate for the properties that the owners of the company had and whenever they had a property they needed to rent, they would call this lady and her her, her commission was one month's rent which is about $4,000 a month and and she would get that but no one else had exclusivity to to renting those properties well it got to the point where we couldn't just use that one person anymore and so we had to eliminate that exclusivity and and open it up to all different all other uh, real estate agents but when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is not only a complete Savior, and we need to get that clear, that He is a complete Savior. Once we have Jesus, we don't need anything else. Now this is the problem that the, 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 the Galatian believers were, were, were facing from the false teachers. They were telling them that, listen, you, don't know, you, you not only need Jesus, you need you need the law too. Well, Jesus is exclusive and he's complete. And so Paul is not talking in this verse to anyone who might have been circumcised in the past. He's talking to people who are considering being circumcised because of what the false teachers have told them. And so those persons who have already been circumcised, they don't have to cringe when when they hear Paul talking about this. Because he's not speaking to them. He's, He's speaking to those who are seriously considering being circumcised. Because they have been influenced by the false teachers that were telling them that Jesus Christ alone isn't enough. You need to get circumcised too. And so, he's talking to those who are considering that, rit- that ritual as a necessity for complete justification. And he's declaring to them that the obligations of keeping the law uh, would fall upon them if they were to take that route. Look at verse 4. What does it say? Okay, now notice it says If you are trying to make yourself right with God Which is what they were doing By keeping the law Then You have been cut off from Christ That's what he's saying You have been cut off from Christ You have fallen away from God's grace you have distanced yourself from the grace of God. See, legalism means abandonment of Christ as one's only hope of righteousness. Abandoning Christ is the only hope of righteousness. That's what legalism means. And that's why it's so dangerous. This voice has given, has, has, given has given rise to a lot of extensive discussions over the years. And many different interpretations have been offered. But these are grouped broadly in three uh, classes. And we want to look at those three classes that this discussion is is grouped in. To give us a little bit more clarity. Many hold that Paul here teaches that it is possible for a person to be truly saved. Then to fall into sin. And therefore to fall from grace and be forever lost. This has come to be known as the falling away doctrine. And there are people who believe this. And uh, of course you you probably are aware of some of them that you come in contact with every so often. We believe such an interpretation to be unsound. It is not sound uh, for two compelling reasons. First the verse does not describe saved persons who fall into sin in fact there is no mention of falling into sin instead the verse is speaking of those who are living moral, respectable, upright lives and hope to be saved by this means so the passage acts as a boomerang on those who use it to support the falling away doctrine they teach that a Christian must keep the law live a perfect life and otherwise refrain from sinning in order to remain saved. Can you do that? Can you live a perfect life and refrain from sinning? In this world? Can you? No. They teach that the Christian must keep, must keep the law. Live a perfect life. Now there's only one person who ever lived a perfect life, Right? the scriptures, this scripture insists that all who seek to be justified by works of law or self-effort have fallen from grace. Now that's the first point. The second point is, this interpretation in- contradicts the overall consistent testimony of the New Testament to the effect that every true or genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is eternally saved, eternally saved, that no sheep of Christ will ever perish, and that salvation depends entirely, entirely on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not on man's feeble efforts, and we have a, a number of scriptures that we could, we could we could point to, to that effect, that we don't have the time to go into, uh, John 3.16 is one of them that we are quite familiar with. John 3.36 is another one and there are many others. But then a second interpretation of this verse is that it refers to those who, are, who were originally saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but who subsequently put themselves under the law to hold on to their salvation or to accomplish or to achieve holiness. In other words They were saved by grace, but now they seek to be kept, saved by the law. In this case, to fall from grace is, as someone put it, to turn from God's way of perfecting his saints by the work of the Spirit in them and to seek that end through the observations or the observance of external rites and ceremonies and rituals which men of the flesh can observe as well as the saints of God. This view is also unscriptural. The scripture doesn't support it in any way, shape, or form. First, because the verse does not describe Christians who seek holiness or sanctification, but rather unsaved persons who seek justification by keeping the law on their own. Note the wording of the verse. You who attempt to be justified by the law. That's what the verse says. You who attempt or try to be justified by the law. And second, this explanation of this verse implies the, the, the possibility of saved people being subsequently severed or cut off from Christ. And this is inconsistent with right views with regards to the grace of God. But then there's a third interpretation. And the third interpretation is that Paul is speaking of people who might profess to be Christians, but are not truly saved. They are professors of salvation, but not possessors of salvation. They are seeking to be justified by keeping the law. They are legalists by the, by the, by the very term of the law. The Apostle Paul is telling them that they cannot have two Saviors. They must choose either Christ or the law. And there are many people who are in that quandary today. They can't make a choice. They are between the proverbial rock and hard place, as we might call it. If they choose the law, then they are cut off from Christ. As their only possible hope of righteousness, they have fallen from grace. And um, it has been expressed very clearly by Vine and Hoag. Christ must be very must be everything or nothing to a man. No limited trust or divided allegiance is accepted to him. The man who is justified by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a Christian. The man who seeks to be justified by the works of the law is not a Christian." And so what do we see in terms of how these, were, these verses impact us? Verses 3 and 4. What do we take away from these verses in terms of, of principle or application to our own lives? Well, first of all, circumcision was a symbol of having the right background on doing everything required by religion. That's what circumcision meant in the time that it was used. No amount of work or discipline or moral behavior can save us. None. Doesn't matter how pious you are, like the monks in the convents, you can be as pious as them. But no amount of work, hard work, sacrificial work, Discipline or moral behavior can save nobody. It never has, and it never will. If a person, if a person were counting on finding favor with God by being circumcised, he would also have to obey the rest of God's law completely, and that would be a difficult task because some people can't even remember all the five hundred some some laws. Much less try to keep them. Trying to, trying to save ourselves by keeping all of God's laws only separates us from God. It distances us from God, because we are so over, overwhelmed and enraptured and raptured in trying to keep the law, we forget about God. But then look at verse five. What does verse five say? For which: Okay. We live by the Spirit, eagerly, excitedly, enthusiastically, with great anticipation, waiting to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us, is what Paul is saying. And so the Apostle Paul shows that the hope of the true, the genuine believer is far different from the legalist. Like black and white, the Christian waits for the hope of righteousness. He hopes for the time when the Lord will come. Aren't we all looking forward to that? We're looking forward to that time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come, when we will receive a, a glorified body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more aches, no more uh, uh, chemotherapy, no more geritol. They still taking that? Yeah. I haven't heard about jail in a while. But no more none of that stuff. We are looking forward to that glorified body. That God is going to bless us with. And when we will sin no more. You know there are times when we don't want to sin but we sin anyway. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7 and 8. You know, that which we, we don't want to do, we do, and that which we should not do, we end up doing anyway, even though we don't want to do it. But there's coming a day when we won't, we won't have to do that anymore. No more sin. But notice that it does not say that the Christian hopes for righteousness. He already has a right standing before God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see we see that in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty one. But we also wait for the moment when we will be completely righteous in himself. Completely righteous in, in ourselves. We do not hope to achieve this by anything that we can do, but rather by but rather through the Spirit of God and by faith. The Holy Spirit is going to do it all. That's why he is our paraclete, the one called alongside us to help. That's what he's there for, to help us out. Unfortunately, sometimes we say we don't want his help. We become like little children again. Remember when children get a certain age and they can't do something for themselves, they want to do it. They would like to do it. And they try to do it and they can't do it and you offer them the help. No, leave me alone. I want to do it myself. And they're crying because they can't do it, but they don't want to help. Well, that's how we are sometimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He's there to help us. He wants to help us, but we want to do it all on our own. And so the Holy Spirit is there to help us. He simply looks to God. We simply look to God to bring faith to pass. The legalist, on the other hand, hopes to earn his righteousness by his own works, by keeping the law or observances of righteous or religious acts of course it's all in vain because righteousness cannot be achieved in the way that the legalist tries to achieve it but notice that Paul uses the pronoun we in this verse referring to genuine Christians, true Christians the real McCoy's whereas in verse 4 he uses the pronoun you when speaking to those who seek to ju- who seek to seek justification by works of the law, and so he's he's speaking to two different groups of people here. He's, too, he's talking to the genuine Christian, the one who's genuinely saved, and he's talking to the ones who are not saved, who are trying to achieve or to earn their salvation by good works. He's talking to the genuine Christian, and he's talking to the legalists. Verse six. Okay, notice he says legalism avails nothing. And so the legalist ain't accomplishing anything by being legalists. By taking the stand that they, st- they, they, they they take. They're not accomplishing anything. It's in vain. It's useless. What does the the, the preacher say? Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities. All is emptiness. And that's what you can say here about the legalists. As far as a person who is in Christ, that is, a a Christian, one who is genuinely saved, is concerned, circumcision does not make him any better. And uncircumcision does not make him any worse. What God looks for in the believer is what? What does God look for in the believer? Faith. That's what he looks for. Faith working through love. Faith is complete and dependent on God. Faith is not idle. doesn't sit around. It manifests itself in unselfish service to God and man, to those around us. It's manifested by those who go to care kitchen kitchen and minister to those folks who are who are hungry and who are in need. And and and, and those who, who who go out to operation in as much to help serve those. That's how faith is manifested. That's how it manifests itself. The motive of all such service is what? What is the motive of all such service? Love. Love love for our fellow man. Bible tells us that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so faith works through love and it is prompted by love not by the law. If you wait on, if you wait on the law to demonstrate love you would die. And so this truth is found many times in the scriptures over and over again we see it. that God is not interested in rituals but in the reality of a godly life a life that is lived by faith through love that is what he is interested in that's what God is looking for in each of our lives day in and day out it's not seasonal it's an everyday fleshing out manifestation of what God desires of the genuine believer not the legalist. Verse 7 you were running a good race. Who didn't you kept you from proclaiming the truth? No, Paul says, man, you were doing so well. I mean you were you were coming along so good. You know, I gave you the truth, I gave you the the, the the scriptures, sound Bible teaching, and all of a sudden you're going astray, what happened? What went wrong? You see, legalism is disobedience to the truth. That's what it is. A lot of people, who, a lot of legalists don't realize that. They think they're, 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 they're on top of the totem pole in terms of being obedient to God. But legalism is disobedience to the truth. And the Galatians had made a good start in their Christian life. They had, they had gotten out of the gate well ahead of those others. But someone had hindered them. Someone tripped them up. It was the Judaizers, the false teachers, the legalists. False apostles, people we need to watch out for. By accepting their erroneous teachings, the saints were now actually disobeying the truth of God's word. They're being disobedient. And so we need to be mindful of that when we run into those legalists. We need to remind them that listen, you think you're obeying the word of God, you are doing the opposite. You are disobeying the word of God simply by your legalistic stand. Yeah, they are. They are. Pray that the Lord would remove the scales from their eyes and they'd be, they'd be able to see. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones who are the legalists. They're too smart for their own good. That's the problem. See? In many cases those persons who are who have intellectual knowledge had knowledge. But nothing in the heart at all. So I mean I guess when you so smart you think it's too easy. This is too easy to let you know. Yeah, there there are there are people who believe that Salvation is, is so easy that it doesn't make sense. They tried to bring into the Tibetan thing like Um that, that doesn't make any sense to him. Yeah, well see the legalists believe that the legalists believe because of their the head knowledge that they have acquired. They believe that they the knowledge that they have they have acquired on their own. And they believe that salvation is the same way. They need to acquire that. It's something that they need to do. It's not something that God has done for them. Okay, they don't believe that people need to do something for them. They believe they need to do everything for themselves. But that's, that's disability, right? That's where you're blind. Yeah, it is. But that they don't makes, see it that way. That shows us so well. It's a handicap. It it's a handicap. But they don't see themselves as handicapped. i well, I'm happy I, I talk to a lot of intellectuals. A lot of them intellectual foods. Because that's all they have. That's all they have. And intellectualism can't make you happy. Education does not make you happy. <laughs> but I think you might be empty to too. Yeah. There, there is you know. an emptiness. A lot, a lot well like mm-hmm. like the see, somewhere somewhere along the line, sooner or later, they're gonna realize that all the intellectual knowledge they have still leaves them empty and wanting and desirous of something that they cannot accomplish themselves. And that's that is at that point where they really begin to take seriously what the scriptures offer, what God offers them, because like like has been said, everybody has this void in them that only Jesus Christ can fit into. It's like a, a, a round hole, and you, everybody's trying to put put a square in that round hole. The square never fit for the intellectualism, intellectualists, and the legalists. The square is their is their legalism. Is their their determination that they are right, and they are trying to fit all of this, all of that, in this round void, and it'll never fit. It'll never fit, and so they've got to come to the point where they realize that Jesus, simple, Jesus is the answer.
1: And they'll continue to search.
0: It's like a circle hmm They'll continue to do that. Not because they, they feel as if they're right. You know, everybody else is wrong and they're right. It's like the lady who was, uh, whose son was in the, in the procession he was marching the wrong way. And she said, oh boy, all those people going the wrong way. My son is the only one going the right way. That's the legalist. That's the legalist. It doesn't matter how many people are going the right way. They feel as if they are right and they're going in the right direction. I suppose some teacher says, I'm right, you're wrong. Any questions? That's the legalist. Verse 8. Okay, notice this. The, the legalist, Paul says, It certainly isn't God. He is the one who called you to freedom. And so this this legalistic stand that you have, this ain't coming from God. You see, that's what we need to tell the legalists. This position that you're taking, it doesn't come from God. That's exactly what Paul did here. Paul said to the legalists, listen, the position that you have, it ain't coming from God because he's the one who called you to freedom. And that's what we need to tell the legalists when, when we run into legalism. Legalism is not a divine teaching. Persuasion here means belief or doctrine. Him who calls you refers to God. And so the belief that circumcision and law keeping should be added to faith in Christ does not come from God. You know where it comes from? The devil. None other than the devil himself. That's where it comes from. Verse nine. nine:: I'm talk to the my little morning, you know, permeate the entire That's right. Those of you who know bread, who make bread, you know what that means, right? He says this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. That's what this false teaching is like, Paul's saying. Legalism leads to more and more evil. And so the interlegalists will become worse and worse. Leaven in the scripture is a common symbol for evil. Common symbol you find it throughout, especially in the Old Testament. Here it refers to the evil doctrine of the Judaizers. The doctrine. The natural tendency of leaven or yeast is to affect, or the impact all of the meal that it comes in contact with, and is used here to show that a little error, just a little error we will call it tinsy winzy, tinsy winzy error must inevitably lead to more error. Evil is never static. It must defend itself by lies and by adding more lies. Legalism is like garlic. There's no such thing as a little bit of it. Right? The Greek word in Bacchus is it permits. In other words, it grows. It grows, exactly. It grows. Like I said, like I said it, adds, it adds more and more evil. It compounds. If a few people in the church hold false doctrine, they will get more and more followers. Unless it is dealt with sternly. And that's what Paul is doing with the Galatian believers. He's dealing with it sternly. Because a little leaven level it the whole up it affects the whole batch we need to be mindful of that we got to stop here because our time is gone but when we come back lord willing we'll pick up at verse 10.